and welcome to another episode of Home Talk with Greg McKim. Today is Tuesday, December 10th. I'm looking through the window, and hey, I think it's raining. Yes. <laughs> okay, wait, where it's not my glasses. They don't need to be clean. Okay, it's it's. No, it almost looks kind of foggy out there just because yeah. the rain is so thin. When I was out for a walk this morning, about six o'clock with my dogs, I swear I saw a few snowflakes come down. Was there were there any snow flurries? You know, Nathan, anywhere? Uh, I haven't heard of any, but uh, wouldn't it surprise me? We're getting towards that time of the year, and yeah. Sometimes, you know, I've seen it snow here in Washington when it's been 45 degrees and it just doesn't make sense because it's below freeze, not below freezing. Yeah, well, my, my best snow story is when I was a kid in May. Oh, gosh, I don't want to say the year. We had snow in May. One year. Oh, really? I think it was 68. Mm. Was it worse than the one we had last year with Snowmageddon? Oh, it was, it was May. It was just a, it was a dusting. <laughs> so now away from the weather and back to the show. So if you're listening on a different date, it might be sunny out, which means that this has been rebroadcast. You're not listening live. So I am Greg McKim, your host. On this show, we talk about, well, just about anything I can think of that has to do with home ownership, such as buying, selling, financing, insuring, flipping, remodeling, you name it, staging, uh, investments. And the reason I talk about these things is because it's kind of in my blood. I've been building home, I've been in the home industry, I should say, since I started as a carpenter in, the, in 1978. Yeah, I swung a hammer, dug holes, carried two-by-fours, and then... Um, Got in the mortgage business in 1991, owned a mortgage company for a while, still in the mortgage business. I'm a licensed loan originator with a mortgage group here in Bellevue by the name of Legacy Group Capital. My origination number is, this is the technical stuff, I have to give it, 106202 and Legacy Group Capital. Our license as a company is 99045. I'm also a licensed real estate broker with Rockwell Realty. And um, so why do I do this show? I do it because I have found throughout my 28 or so year career in the real estate industry that most consumers don't get good information from the industry. That's a shame, but they just it's just either not available or people don't want to share it. Now, am I saying that there aren't good real estate brokers and there aren't? And there aren't any good loan originators? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that consumers, as a general rule, don't get very good information. So I like to share things that are a little unique, maybe you haven't heard anywhere else. I, f- I call it pulling back the curtain and seeing the real Wizard of Oz. In fact, you haven't been around much, Nathan, because you're sitting in for my other producer. That's Eric. right. <laughs> but Eric will attest to that fact, that he's heard me talk about things that he hasn't heard anybody else discuss in the real estate industry. In fact, if you're listening right now and you'd like to know more or like to hear some of my past shows, which started January of 19, you can go and listen to some of my podcasts at 1150kknw.com under audio archives or as Nathan pointed out previously, on any podcast service. That's right. We put your podcast through Podcast One, and then you it'll distribute them to any podcast service like, that people you know, use. iTunes or yeah. any Basically, if you Google uh, online, if you're not willing to use SoundCloud or want something else, then you can just Google it and it should he's bring this you young right kid. up He's there. talking all these technical things, SoundCloud. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. I, all I know is you can f- podcast, you go find it, and you would look for Home Talk with Greg McKim. Some of the things I've covered are um, tips for selling a home, tips for buying a home. And these are tips that you not, might not hear anywhere else. 
especially tips about how to shop for a home loan. You'd be surprised how bad banks are at teaching you how to do that. Why? Because they don't want you shopping for home loans. They want you getting one from them. But since I know how to do it, I share everything I know with you. So you can listen to a lot. I have shows uh, about condominiums versus single family homes, how to protect yourself and even a fire. Had a friend on who was a retired fire captain. So it goes on and on. A long list. Well, today is a good show. They're all good, right, Nathan? They're all interesting. But today I have a special guest, Reed Guthrie, who is a home inspector. Say hello, Reed. Hi, Greg. <laughs> you can say hello to everybody, but it's fine to say hello to me. And the name of your company, again, is, remind me, I have it in front of me here, Home Inspector, correct? The, ho- the Home Detective. The Home Detective. And I'm sorry I didn't remember that because I just think of you as Reed, the Home Detective. So um, Reed has been in the b- inspection business now for roughly, well, since 95, so that's 24 years. Yeah. Go- going on 25 going on years. 20- May will be 25. Yeah. And um, done just about every type of home you could think of. Empty nesters were downsizing, condos, investors, families moving into their dream homes, inspected 800-foot homes and little cabins up on Whidbey Island, log cabins, 8,000-square-foot waterfront estates, just about everything. And you've inspected homes as, as, that was built as, as old as, like, the 1890s, right? Yep. Wow. That must be interesting. You find We have to talk about one of those. And um, you also have served on the board of directors for the local chapter of the American Society of Home Inspectors. Yes, I have. So before we start talking to Reed from, by the way, the home detective, again, I apologize for that. My, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of bandwidth up here, you know, only certain things I can do. I'm going to talk a little bit about the mortgage rate environment and the home market. So let's go with interest rates. Interest rates have barely moved. If you were to compare them across the board, I usually do this on a weekly basis. They're an Eighth higher than they were last week. That's nothing in this industry. Overall, they're at all-time, well, not all-time lows. They really hit an all-time low in 13. But they're still at historic lows. No real direction one way or other, up or down, although it can surprise you. So I would say right now, if you're looking to buy or refinance, it's a good time to jump on that as far as rates go. I wouldn't expect any major shift downward if you're holding off to refinance. I'd say do it now. If you're thinking about buying, I wouldn't make my buying decision on what interest rates are doing because you should buy a house for other reasons. But it's a factor. So that's about enough about interest rates. So let's talk a little bit about the home, mar- home uh, market in Seattle, Greater Seattle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plagiarize. I'm going to use an article that, I, that was published in the Seattle Times here on December 6th, written by, let me take a look here, scroll down a little bit, Catherine Kajimova Long, Seattle Times business reporter. I'm going to read some of her verbatim. So here we go. Last month, brokers anticipated local residential markets swinging, if ever so slightly, to give buyers a mar- some bargaining power, give them an edge. But after seeing new data from the MLS, which is um, I'm a member of, the Multiple Listing Service, those prognosticators may be eating their hats. I wonder if they're very tasty, those hats. You know, my dog likes to chew on hats. I'm not a big fan of eating hats. By some measures, King County was more of a seller's market in November than at any time since the residential cooldown began 18 months ago. And for those of you who know, about May of 18, June of 18, we started to see a dip. We saw a dip as much as 20% in some places. Some places maintained, some places went up a little bit. But um, there are there are more buyers chasing homes for sale in October, actually November, excuse me, 
than any time since May of 18, which, of course, that's good for sellers and not so good for buyers. Whoops, what did I do here with my... I messed up, went too far on my links here, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let me just get back on the schedule thing. So um, Mike Grady, president of Coldwell Banker Bain, said, hey, just when I thought we had started a new normal that equalized things a bit for buyers, we have had a November surprise. Perhaps it's an aberration, but perhaps not. Now, of course, in real estate, <laughs> in almost any any sort, anybody has to forecast, e- economists, you name it, it's always maybe, maybe not. You ever notice that? <laughs> I had this cartoon once. It was, remember that, I think it was Ernst and something. It was those two guys always, they, I remember that was, and they were talking to a financial planner or a stockbroker, and the, and the guy was saying, well, um, most stockbrokers right now think the market will go up, but it might, well get, might go down. Me too. <laughs> it's just, so anyways, Mike, not, no, no slam against you. I'm the same way. I don't know what's going to do, but I do think that we're still in a tight market, which is good for sellers, bad for buyers. And usually going into the winter, you think it's going to improve a little bit for the buyers, but it doesn't seem to be. Because, you know, there's people aren't really, there's many people looking, but right now there's not as many people selling either. So on with the article. To a certain extent, that's not a surprise because inventory does shrink in the winter. That's back to what I just said. People don't like to sell their houses in the, in the, in the winter or the holidays. But there were also fewer listings in November than the same month the last three years. So this November had the fewest listings in the last three years, which means bad things for buyers, good things for sellers, unless you're a seller and you want to buy, too. So without getting a lot more detail, which this thing goes into, I would recommend that you look it up on the Seattle Times article. You can go online, or if you're a subscriber like me, I'm not going to go into all the details. Let's just say that outlying areas... Prices are still more robust because people can afford it. In line, the inner areas, um, they're already high. So that's about it. By the way, if you're if you're listening today and you would like to call in and talk to either myself or Reed or Nathan, Nathan might have some good things to share today. Uh, the number here at KKNW is 425-373-5527. Again, that's 425-373-5527. And even though today... We're talking about home inspections. You're welcome to call and ask any question you have about home ownership, home financing, and the like. Off air, you can reach me on my cell at 206-250-6545. Again, that's 206-250-6545. My name is Greg. Or you can reach me at my email of gregm, G-R-E-G-M, at LegacyG.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y.com. So, or you can go to our website, LegacyG.com. So read some questions I had ready here. Hang tight a second. And before I start talking with Reed and asking him questions, I just want to make something clear to homeowners because they ask me about this all the time. What's the difference between an appraisal and a home inspection? Do you want to answer that or do you want me to answer it? Well, I'll take it on. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, the appraiser is there to verify that um, the house is the collateral that you got for your loan, and they're verifying that it is what you say it is, that it's got the three bedrooms, two baths, two-car garage, and that um, the value of the home uh, will support the loan. There you go. The inspection is about what the condition of the house is. Are now, there, there is a little crossover there. A little bit. An appraiser is not going is is going to call out. That means they're going to to let the lender know if there's anything they think is a significant structural defect, either from you know 
the point where it could damage the property or injure somebody. Because the lender, that's the only time the lender has any idea what the property looks like is when the appraiser goes out there and sees it. So if the appraiser sees a noticeable defect, for instance, they can see from the ground, they're not going to climb up on the roof like you do. But if they can see from the ground that the roof looks bad, they'll, they'll say, hey, have somebody else inspect it. Roofs are a big thing that appraisers look yes. for. Yeah, or if common. they see standing water someplace, it's really obvious. It looks like it could damage. Or if they see rot. But they don't do as the forensics you do, climb around, turn everything on and off. They just basically check to make sure the house is structurally sound and safety. If they see exposed wires, plates off of you know receptacles, things like that, they will call it because now the lender potentially has liability but not nearly the depth of what you do. So um, why don't you tell me why a homeowner should consider or if not consider it's mandatory to get a home inspection? The prices around here are a big enough argument for me to say, yeah, you should be getting a home inspection. You, you know, you're spending a lot of money, and it would be, um, I think, prudent for you to know exactly what it is you're buying. When you're looking at a home, you know, oftentimes you're looking at the floor plan, the number of bedrooms, um, you know, will the TV fit there, will the sofa fit somewhere else, and you're not looking at the condition of the home. And there could be a whole lot of surprises waiting for you if there are some things that um, you're, you just don't have the eye to pick up as a typical home buyer. The home inspector is in there looking for um, what's going on with the house, not you know, whether the couch is going to fit over in that corner and is this a good place for the big screen TV. Is there ever an instance, Reed, where you think a person, ah, don't bother? You got a couple ideas of when a person would be a waste of time and money to do one? I've been surprised. I've done inspections on um, high-end, new construction, lots of top-end materials, and, and you'd think that kind of a property would be a um, pretty safe bet. Yeah. But in... Um, as many times as I have found issues with older homes, I've found significant issues with um, the high-end new construction. Well, uh, people make mistakes. They make mis- Yeah, they make mistakes, and sometimes there are builders who are um, a little bit more conscientious than other builders. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what to look for, you could end up um, being a little disappointed in what you ended up paying a lot of money for. So to help the listening audience... Let's say you're buying brand new construction today. You think, well, what the world would I want an inspection for? First of all, of course, the builder, even though we're going to assume that the builder is conscientious, wants to do a good job, they've got crews of people doing things. They're moving fast, and they're not infallible. I've had inspections done on homes, brand new construction, where they find the electrical's not wired right at one particular outlet. Or where the, um, my favorite one was where the ductwork from the furnace that goes that went up through the floor wasn't attached properly, so dust was blowing all over the place. Greg, I've seen new construction homes. I've been in crawl spaces under new construction homes where they forgot to hook up the waistline to take the waste out to the sewer. There you go. You've got more stories than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just helped somebody buy a house that had been built in 16, and the inspector... We'll go, let me talk a little about how Reed and I know each other in a minute. The inspector that I used for that one found that the crawl space wasn't insulated at all. Uh-huh. D.R. Horton had forgot to do it. Now, here's the cool thing about D.R. Horton. They went back and did it at no charge within four days uh-huh. because we, t- we brought it to their attention. They said, we screwed up, but it didn't get caught at that time. I wonder how much money that past owner spent on electric bills because they weren't insulated. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that too. Happens, I've, yeah. 
I've so, seen attics that weren't insulated. Now, people ask me routinely, well, how come the building inspector didn't catch this? Can you answer that, Reed? That's a good a, <laughs> good, a good question, question that doesn't have an answer. You know, that's, <laughs> that's there's, there, are, there are steps in the process of building a home, and you can't go from the yes. one step to the next until you get signed off on it. And I guess sometimes they just were assuming that because the house next door was done properly, this one's going to be done properly. Or, you, you think they're just, uh, just overworked, don't have time to do it. They've <laughs> built with that builder many times. Yeah, exactly. They missed it. Yeah. Just, you never know. But that's, they so, got distracted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I had, okay, what was I going to say? Home inspections. Oh, now, you know, it's really, really hot market, right? People either sometimes waive inspections altogether or they get what's called a pre-inspection. Mm-hmm. Now that can be, both those things are problematic. Let's start with waiving it. That's a little bit risky. That, that can be very risky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're counting on, uh, luck. Okay. So um, let's just say that you, you, you waive it and just be, just be prepared for who knows what. Who knows what you're taking? You're rolling the dice. You're taking your chances, and unless you, you know, have some eye, some experience to yeah. uh, be able to pick up on the things that might be significant, um, yeah, you're you're taking chances, and you're spending a lot of money to take those chances. So here's my recommendation: if you decide that you're gonna, you're not going to get a pre-inspection, which I'll address next. If you decide you're going to waive an inspection at home, make sure that you and your realtor do the best job you possibly can. Go in, turn on appliances, look at the age of the hot water heater. Look at the age of the appliances and things if you can, the furnace. If you can, stick your head in the crawl space. If you can get up in the attic, stick your head up there. Look outside at the roof. Just try to get a a general idea because then even if you're still going to buy the house in spite of the fact that it has these things, you can can make a determination of what it's going to cost you down the road and how much you want to offer for the house. That's my recommendation. Next thing would be, if you decide to get a pre-inspection, now here's the problem with pre-inspections. So I have buyer, I, I had one buyer once we made in a, in a, in a one year period, we made 12 offers before he got a house. So, <laughs> yeah. So if you think about that for a second, if they had gotten a pre-inspection on every house, what's your average inspection? Just what well, you let's, let's say it's a sizable house and let's say 500 bucks. Okay. Times 12. That's six grand. Yep. So after about two or three of those buyers don't want to do them anymore. So here's what I do with my listings. I get an inspection. My seller gets an inspection. We address everything we feel like addressing. We list in the listing what we've done to the home, what we haven't done to the home. We allow the buyer to look at the inspection. We say, look, this way you don't have to get a pre-inspection, but you can waive it with more comfort. Mm -hmm. Or or you can negotiate in advance the things that you want us to do because we don't want you getting a contract and then later on walking or telling you want renegotiating. Now, from a seller standpoint, that's an ideal thing to do, because when if a person buys a house with an inspection contingency, they can use that contingency to back out of the transaction for no. They don't even have to explain why. Yep. All they do is say unacceptable, or they can renegotiate the deal after they have the inspection. So, from a seller standpoint, I don't like having an inspection contingency, but from a buyer standpoint, if I have a listing, and it and and I and I don't have an inspection on it, and I'm getting multiple offers. I'm going to get fewer offers because I have people who, one, don't want to waive their inspection in the competition if they're competing, or they've already done those three pre's and they don't want to do it. So it's good for my seller to have more offers, right, Reed? Now, talking about that, if, if, if you're listening right now, if you've ever done a home inspection, if you've ever learned about them, you'll find that one of the clauses 
in the paperwork with the home inspection is that the inspection can't be shared or used by anybody but the person that it was ordered by, which is the buyer. Now, in this case, the seller, if, if I'm listing a property, is actually the one purchasing the inspection. Mm -hmm. And even though that clause is in there, we still do it. Sure. You're, it's, the shell, it's the seller's inspection to share with whomever they want right. to. Right. They can't. But if a buyer gets it, why is it in there that they that this is this is not something that, that, that why why is it in there that the buyer is not supposed to share that inspection with other people? What's that? Why is that clause in inspection? Well, I think it's more for the relationship between the buyer and the inspector. Uh huh. The inspector's client is the buyer, right? And the inspector has a, an obligation to that buyer. Buyer. Okay. If the buyer sells or gives the inspection to somebody else. There's no connection. There's no uh, relationship between the home inspector and that, that other new party. Person, that new party, right? Yeah. Now, if I get an inspection, which I always do for my sellers, or they get one, and they share it with somebody, there's no relationship with you and that other party either. And that's right. that's what that clause is all about, right. really. Yep. And people get. I wanted you to clarify that. People say, "Well, I, I can do whatever I want in my inspection." That's not the purpose of it. It's just poorly worded. What it really is meaning is to say is, "Look, you can't hold me to any sort of liability or anything." For somebody I don't have a relationship with. Correct. Right. And plus, you know, things can change. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the inspection's a snapshot of the it's condition of the house that day. Yep. Things can change the next day. So, um, Nathan, from your standpoint, you ever owned a home before? I have not. You ever, you ever heard about a home inspection? I've heard about it a few times. Did the first few minutes here of what we talk about make sense to you? You know, I never actually really experienced a home inspection myself, but yeah. it seems like it's a... Uh, making sense to me. So far, it makes sense. That's correct. So you can jump in and ask questions. Okay. If you want. Just say, what does that mean? Because, you know, we, we talk the language, right? Mm -hmm. So, all right. So, um, Reed, what kind of credentials, licensing, so forth, do home inspectors, where are they required to have? Uh, since 2009, here in the state of Washington, they, um, if you were not grandfathered in, uh, you're required to uh, go through a, a school, an approved by the state of Washington school, 128 hours classroom education, and there's a test at the end of that. Once you've satisfactorily completed that, then you have a kind of a field training of minimum of 40 hours, and you're supposed to be uh, writing up five sort of mock inspections during that. And if you successfully complete that, then you can take the test, the state test. And if you te pass the state test, now you are considered a fully licensed home inspector, and you can go out and market yourself as a home inspector and um, try to build a business around home inspecting. Are there continuing education requirements? Every two years, your license needs to be renewed, mm -hmm. and you have to accumulate 24 continuing education credits or 24 hours of so continuing education credits. In that two-year period? In that two-year period, yeah. And you can do it online. You can do it through various uh, trade organizations, um, approved Credits by the state of Washington uh, show up on various websites. Now, when you say grandfathered, so that means that people that were doing this, making a living at it prior to the 2009 law, don't have to do any of this, or they are. Well, we we still have to do the continuing education, but we didn't have to go through the 128 hours right. and the 40 hours of uh, field work. Okay, so you you didn't have to do that. I had to take a test to pass the test. Yeah, which means if you didn't yeah. pass the test, you're in trouble. Then I would have had to go do the 128 right. okay, hours. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you passed it, by the way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, when I got my real estate license in 2009, it seems like I had to take 60 hours. It might, I think it's up to 90 now, 
I've, I've always, and if you're a mortgage loan originator to get a license is even less hours than that. It, it's, it's just interesting the different bars they have. Yeah. 128 versus 90, and I think it's uh, 30 for, I don't know, it's a big difference. Um, so let's take a look. And, and you know, da, 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 da. Okay, what are some of the most common, like but the top three or four things you find wrong with homes all the time? Most of them are a result of people not taking care of their homes. For instance? Roofs that are not properly maintained. Okay. Um, I've seen a lot of roofs that were ruined by homeowners who went up to blow things off the roof with a pressure washer, and they used too high of a pressure, and they actually ended up uh, damaging their roof. Right. Um, issues in crawl spaces because of drainage around the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, water uh, in crawl spaces creates all kinds of problems in the crawl space and um, elsewhere in the home. Sometimes it can be uh, rodents and yep. pest, you know, wood-destroying, uh, wood-eating organisms like just decay damage. And sometimes people have um, mold issues in their homes because they have a problem in their uh, crawl space. And then uh, the next one would be uh, people doing work who had no business doing that kind <laughs> of work. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the self-improvement person. Yeah, okay. it might be an addition. It might be some plumbing work. It might be some new counters or oh, new floor or stuff, new yeah. electrical stuff. Electrical is the one that's... Electrical is yeah. a scary one, yeah. yeah. Hey, bef- while you're listening here, by the way, I want to make sure I promote Reed since he graciously came on today and invested his time to help you all learn about home inspections. So how can they get a hold of you, Reed, if they'd like to order a home inspection? Well, best way to reach me is my my phone number, 206-786-8649. Um, I also have a, a website, uh, thehomedetective.net. Why don't you repeat that? Thehomedetective.net. Thehomedetective.net. And you can also reach me at uh, 206-786-8649. So let's talk a little bit about how we met. Okay. So I've been working with another home inspector for, well, 10 years, my whole, my whole career pretty much. Yeah, my mentor. Yeah, and that's, this is interesting. So Reed and I both participate with an organization called Landmark Worldwide, and you might remember if you listened to my show back in the beginning of October, I came out of their first course, which is a seminar titled The Forum. I was bouncing off the walls. In fact, um, Eric here was, was, was trying to make sure I didn't go one through one of the windows here. I was so excited. <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 it really literally is the most remarkable transformor, transformor, transformative experience I've ever gone through. It's just, it, it's, it's incredible. So Reed and I just started... Well, the story is I, I threw your dog's, tr- 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 okay, what's that thing, a throw toy? You know, what yeah, kind of dog bump, you have? a bumper. I have a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Yeah, so it has a rope on it, it and we're throwing it around the parking lot, just getting to know each other, and I threw it up on the roof. Yep. And that's how we got to know each other. Yep. And I replaced it, but I couldn't find the right thing. So we start talking. It turns out that he's the home inspector. So I told him, you know, I've got this friend who's my friend. He's, we do, he does all my home inspections. His name Jim Breckenridge, da 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 and you told me. Yeah, I, I got started in the business with Jim. With Jim, yeah. Yeah, going yeah. back yeah. Uh, almost 25 years now. Yeah. Yeah, small world. And, and so uh, Jim's a great guy. I don't know if he's listening to the show right now. I've asked him to come on the show a few times, but he hasn't done it. So here's Reed. And um, I've never sent Reed an inspection, but if he was trained by Jim and based on what I know about Reed's integrity, which is everything to me, 
I would use them in a heartbeat. Speaking about referrals, by the way, so people come to me periodically and they say, well, I've been told I should never use the inspector that a real estate broker refers. And my answer to that is, fine, don't do it. I said that if you pick somebody that I don't know and I don't know how good their work is because I have no experience with them, I'm not going to vouch for this person. You know, I'll vouch for Jim. I'll vouch for Reed right now just because of what I know of you as a person. But I've never seen this other person's work. What, do you, what are your feelings about that, having a real estate person, ref, broker refer, or somebody picking you out of the phone book or through some other um, means? Your clients are looking to you as a realtor to guide them through the whole real estate process. And who better knows what constitutes a good, thorough home inspection than a realtor who's been on both sides of the transaction, uh, representing the sellers and representing the buyers. And who best to know what's a good, thorough inspection and what's a superficial inspection uh, than a realtor who's seen a lot of both. I've seen plenty, yes. Uh, so uh, I would suggest that your experience and your knowledge of what is a good inspection, a reliable, ethical inspector, is being of service to your client. And what? turning them loose to find somebody out in the wild on their own, um, I, I think is... Um, it's unfortunate if they choose to go that route because I think they're passing up an opportunity to really um, connect with a, a whole um, portfolio of, of good, qualified professionals that you know that you have access to. Your, your answer just stirred something or made me think that, you know, if, if you're working with a real estate broker and you don't trust them enough to rely on their referral to your home inspector, you got another problem. Uh-huh. Because you're, you should trust your real estate broker 100%. And if, they, if you don't have that trust with them, you need to address it and figure out why you don't have it. Bottom line. Any decent real estate broker is putting your interest before theirs every single time. It doesn't matter. If they, I, 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 don't, I, need to, I don't need to elaborate on that. That's just basic. Right, so I've if seen. that's the issue, if you don't trust them, then something else, is going, something else is going on with you in the relationship with that person. I've seen uh, over the years, um, I would... I would say that realtors fall into uh, one of two categories. Uh, there are those who are uh, interested in what's best for their clients and those who are interested in what's best for their own pocketbook. And if, um, if you run into one of the latter, that would probably show up pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's that I wouldn't trust anybody that that person was referring me to. But if I'm dealing with a r- realtor who's making it obvious from the the start that they're interested in doing what's best for their client, I would trust whatever that realtor had to say. Definitely. Say back to the things that you see most often. I've got a couple stories. You have more than I do. But one story I had a listing out. Gosh, what's the name of that? I just, my, my head went blank. You know, as you're going out the Redmond Avondale Road out towards Ames Lake, mm-hmm. right to the left before you hit that great big dip where there's that big wetland. What's that little area there called? Woodbridge, Woodbridge, Wood. Yeah, doesn't yeah, matter. I can't. Anyways, the newer home. home. Yep. So, um, and this was back before I used to. Now I almost require that my sellers get their own inspections, mm-hmm. and partly because of experiences like this. So we had an offer come in, and guess what we found? The crawl space had been infiltrated by rats, and the entire crawl space was destroyed. All the vapor barrier, which Nathan, in case you don't know, 
uh, over the dirt, you put down a big, thick piece of plastic to keep vapor from coming up into the house. That was all completely destroyed by rats. Insulation that was underneath the floor joist destroyed. They started chewing into other things like wood and pipes. It was a $7,000 fix. So now, this, the, 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 the moral of the story isn't, hey, get a home inspection before you sell the house. The moral of the story is, don't let that happen. So how do you not let that happen? Well, what I advise is that you put some sort of pest trap inside where you look into your crawl space. And you check it periodically. And if there is a pest in there, which means usually a rat or a mouse, find out where they're getting in to stop them before it gets too late. It should do it in your attic, too. Now, this is one of those types of things that you tell people and they don't do it. But it's, it's just uh, that costs $7,000 versus, I don't know, what does a rat trap cost? Or one of those little, you know, if you if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, <clears throat> don't want to kill them, one of those little boxes. One of the have hearts or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's it going to cost? Ten bucks? Yeah. And then maybe five minutes to put it in and five uh, minutes to check on it uh-huh. versus $7,000. So if you're listening to me right now, that's the only thing you get from the show. If you have an attic, if you have a crawl space, go look at it today. Put a trap in there and go back in the three or four days and see if you've caught anything. If you have, get in there and figure out where they're coming from. You, you can't imagine what a nightmare it is. They, they, can, they can eat into wiring. They can crawl down walls. They'll die inside of walls. They leave, they leave their, you know, their urine and their poop everywhere. It's horrible. Another thing that you have to be uh, uh, thinking about when you have that kind of an infestation is rodents live underground. They tunnel. They have their nests underground. And if they do enough of that, you can start having your floor settle and your foundation settle. Oh, I, oh I didn't even thought about that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, oh, I've been in crawl spaces that uh, felt like I was crawling across Swiss cheese because as I'm wow. crawling along, the dirt is collapsing underneath me. And I tell you one thing. I mean, of all the, the, the functions in the real estate business, Nathan, that people go through, you got the you know got the loan originator, which I do. I sit around, push paper, look at a computer, right? Real estate broker, I get my nice car. Well, it's not that nice, but I get my car. I drive people around. Home appraiser. The home inspector, man, you're crawling through crawl spaces on your, you know, on your belly sometimes <laughs> through that. Well, you just mentioned in your car, too, you're driving around. Those rats can, we've actually had a case where a <laughs> rat got into the hood of the car yes. and started chewing on some of the yeah. uh, machinery. And luckily, we caught it before anything could really oh, yeah. significantly I, happen. I, I know people who've had mice crawl into their like their, their ventilation systems in their cars and then die, and it's, a, it's bad. I've, <laughs> I've found dead rodents in the duct system of homes. So oh, as the heated air yeah. is being distributed through the house, you're oh. getting whatever else is going along with it. Yeah. So that's one last time, in case you didn't hear me. If you got an attic or a crawl space, put some traps out, go look at them, see if you catch anything, and then if you did, hire somebody or do it yourself, go figure out how much, how much damage... How much infestation? Get it cleaned up now and get it fixed so they don't come in. And then check it. What? How, how often do you check it? Once a quarter or once every six months? Um, I would go down there at least once a month until you've got some years of experience of knowing how often you're going to find something. That doesn't something. mean you got to crawl around the whole thing. Right. What you got to do is put you a trap down there check it. where it's accessible because they're going to find that trap. Yep. And then you know you got a problem. And then you can decide what to do. Okay. Uh, let's see if we got anything else. Oh, roofs, power washing. Okay. So oh, yeah. There is a, you can use water to power wash a roof if you know what you're doing. You use high volume, low pressure. If you get moss so bad in your roof that you, there's no way to get it off, you have three or four options. One is to brush it off, which is damages the shingles. One is to scrape it off, which damages the shingles. One is to 
leave it, which damages the singles, or power wash it. If you do power washing properly, it's the best way to do it if you've gotten to the point where you cannot, you didn't prevent it in the first place. Because mm-hmm. you, if it's really thick, moss is really bad, you're not going to get it off with chemicals and things. It's not going to happen because it gets too rooted in there. But people are just so afraid of power washing, but I, I have some experience with this. If it's done properly, it's just that people do it improperly. They do it too hard, and then they wipe their shingles out. I would, if you're going to do this, make sure if you call somebody and talk to them that they use low pressure, high volume, or at least low pressure. Some people don't do the high volume, but the low pressure is key. Another key is to prevent it. And there's different applications. Just regular baking soda on a roof will help it from happening. There's other types of things you can spray on that are a little bit... The problem with baking soda is that it's hard to apply. It, it, it doesn't get an even coat. And then you have a white roof. You get a white roof, but there's another... Another type of a, of, a, of a liquid that you can spray on, which I prefer because you can spray it evenly. You can put zinc strips, but they leave kind of... But anyways, the bottom line is is to make sure, one, is that you, you, you air blow debris off because that captures moisture on the roof itself, which then allows things to grow better. But put some sort of application where, that's, where there's, there's moss prone, whatever it is, and that'll help you. Um, okay, so what else we talk about? Talked about that. Oh, you you thought I should talk about people sometimes ask you whether a home inspection can be is 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 intended to determine whether or not a house meets code. Why don't you elaborate? I get that question a lot, and usually it comes from first time home buyers, and it's I think a result of a little confusion on their part. Code is the minimum standard that a home can be built to and the city or town that um, that home is in is is legally obligated to uh, issue a certificate of occupancy to the owner if the home meets code. And that's where the various uh, inspections come in during the building process. Now, the code is something that is a constantly evolving um, target that um, different aspects of the code change more frequently than other aspects of the code. And each city, each county, if it's an unincorporated area, can adopt a particular code. And they have the adoption date saying, that, okay, we're going to make all of our uh, standards based upon this 2013 code effective January 1 of 2015. Here's a question. So I know that different jurisdictions, counties, cities have different building codes. Yeah. Is there a baseline Washington State code that they must adhere to and they, they can go above it but not below or is there, or not? Well, there's National Electric Code, for instance, okay. is a universal. And some cities, counties, states will have some modifications to some aspects of so it. So is it more national than it is state? It's, 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 there's it nation- serves as a baseline. Okay. And it's, it's, the, it's the baseline. You can make your standards more restrictive well, of you course can't yeah make it less so it's, it's it's a, it's a national code for most building practices but state and then states add to it so because some, some industries like i came out I, I was in the insurance industry for a while it was mm-hmm. all state driven right so it's it's national driven for codes yes you know the re, one of the reasons i asked that question is because i i'm i'm president of an of an 88 home hoa mm-hmm. 
And uh, we had a dispute once with one of the owners there who had installed a new furnace system, yep. and they were pulling the air directly out of the crawl space. Okay. And then they were venting it up through the attic. Okay. And our, our contention was that you're bringing moisture-laden air up and dirty air up into the attic by this process, and that that's not acceptable. And that that doesn't meet code. And then we went back and forth, and, back, and there was different there are different interpretations of the code, how it should be done, and uh, and it was it's an older home, so it was you know it was ret, it was it was a new furnace in a fifty year old home. Right. Ugh. It can get complicated oh. because uh, you know the codes are constantly changing, and if you're looking at a a home and saying does this home meet code, what code? The the one that was present at the time the home was built, the one that was present at well, the, the time. Well, in this case, the, the, our s- argument was look. You put a furnace in today, you have to meet today's codes for furnace insulation. Yes. And our, our the person that we were dealing with who who was who this is the property management firm. They uh-huh. have a, they have a project manager. on so he says, "Look, what they should do is they should pipe that air, clean air in from outside the building so that they're not getting air that's coming up that has dirt and other types of debris mm-hmm. and mold spores. I mean, right. not that there isn't some outside, but it's cleaner from the outside. And then they should run it out of the attic instead of into the attic. Yeah. Okay, so this was the big debate we were having, uh-huh. right? And it went on and on. So, but that's that's the kind of thing you run into. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah. And then, you, and, and then the, and of course, the installer, we met code, and then our project exactly. manager, no, you didn't meet code. It's like, <laughs> and the homeowners, well, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes get a little flippant with clients. I say, uh, if they're really concerned about, um, buy, I mean, buying a home built to code, um, I, I feel sorry for them because if that's all they're looking for, they're looking for the bare minimum home. It's yeah. kind of like saying uh, you could buy a um, a Nissan Leaf. All right. And you can buy a 500 series Mercedes, 2020 model year for both of them. They both meet the car safety standards. But one's going to be a lot better built and have well, a whole lot for sure. yeah. different features that um but yet they both meet the basic standard well let's go back to my original question which you had brought up before our show is a home inspector intended to determine whether a house meets code and the answer is no no okay so when an appraiser says well you have a you, you don't have a hand railing here so you're violating code that comes up periodically right so explain we would address that as not a code violation but a safety violation but or isn't a safety it, risk. Isn't it part of the code that determined how that, that safety risk? That's a gray area. Really? How in interesting. That, in that uh, we're not inspecting the code, but code is the basis for a lot of what we're doing. Okay, so let's back up a little bit then. So as a home inspector, you're required for, per your, your um, I don't know, there's there's professional standards there's a yeah the law spelled out a standard to practice says what we have to look at right. and report on yes. and then and then there are there some the law which so you have professional standards and you have regulatory standards mm-hmm. so what is there a regulatory standard that's separate but from code okay so if if you recognize that that's a potential safety issue but it's not exactly a code violation you're still bringing it up because a regulatory let's just use what's what is it 30 inches well what let's is, use a deck Okay, let's take a thir- whatever that. Okay, a deck, height, yeah. a deck is. Um, here's where we start to get in the weeds a little bit. But if the deck surface is uh, 30 inches or more mm-hmm. above the adjacent grade within 36 inches of the perimeter of the deck, all right, 
you have to have a handrail, a guardrail. Okay. And there's, there are requirements on the spacing of the spindles and the guardrail. Now, when you use the word have to, if where, were, does that, where does that have to If come you were from? building it today to meet current standards. Code. Yes. Okay, so now there, it does sometimes involve the code, but that, 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 that you're not saying, well, I'm, I'm, as an inspector, I'm not calling this out because it doesn't meet code, or how would you write that up in your report? The hand, the, the, there's no handrail which violates code. Would you write it that way? No. The ho- there's no handrail. This is a safety hazard. Okay. Okay. And, that, and that's, would you say, in the inspection, would you say this missing rail is, is we don't violates know when, code? We don't know when that deck was built. Okay. We don't know the code that that particular but community adopted. Ha- okay. If the house was built today, it'd have a handrail because the, the builder couldn't get away, couldn't get a certification. Right. New construction. Occupancy. They couldn't get away without it. All right. All so right. It's, it's a nuance every time, depending upon the situation. Yeah. Okay. Ah. Now, appraisers do this too, by the way, because appraisers, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, they're looking for structural problems and safety hazards. Mm-hmm. And I've had appraisers many times call it handrails and things yep. because it's, it's not, if, a, if, a, if a, somebody fell over and was injured, they could say, well, lender, multi-trillion dollar company, we're suing you because your appraiser didn't warn us in advance. That's the that's the reason for here's, that. Here's an example with the deck. Yeah. Okay. If you just went by code and your deck was 29 inches above the grade. Yeah. By code, you're not obligated to have a handrail. Yes. But if I, as a home inspector, don't point out to you that that's a safety hazard and you fall off the deck so if, and you as break an inspector, your shoulder. Where do you start as far as inches off the ground? Where do you start pointing it out? If you can't, me just personally, if you can't step comfortably from the deck to the ground, I recommend he puts... Well, 29 inches is a pretty good height. Yeah, right. But a typical step is maybe 10 inches. Well, heck, I was at a, a friend's house, and I had, hadn't been to his house ever. It was hadn't seen him for years. It's it's a log cabin built in the 30s, by the way. Okay. And somebody had added on, like, a utility bathroom. Uh-huh. And I walked back there, and there was a four-inch step that I didn't see in the dark. And I, uh, and I, I fell forward and caught myself, got a big bruise on my arm. Yep. Could have broke my neck. Yep. Things like that. Four inches will kill you. Uh-huh. Now, what you're not going to put a handrail there, but something. Right. P- p- the best thing to do would be to put a little ramp there. Just a little like, ramp, or you'll see on steps, you'll see those when, when it's uh, dark. Uh, or, or, of course, stripes. Joe could have told me, be careful back yeah. there. Or turn exactly. the light on for him. Fact, right. He right. Kinda, he, he could have had some floor lights or something. Something. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, So you don't need to have 30 inches. Okay. No, um, but, but in order, if, you're, if you're arguing about you know code. And here's where we get right, yeah. where, where an inspector uh, is going to go above and be if if you have a responsible conscientious inspector he's going to go above and beyond and go to the what's a safety hazard. So if you were if you saw a home code. that had a, a a surface that was 29 inches above, you might say, "Look, my recommendation for safety reasons is to have a handrail." Yes. You wouldn't say it's required, and then that, that wouldn't seller, say it's required by code because we don't know what was required. Right, and then the seller and the and the and the um, buyer can hash it out. Exactly. But you've recommended it, which yep. also is good for you know prevent you from being liable, of course. Not that's not the only reason, but it it helps the seller too, because now they've point somebody's pointed out to the buyer. Now the seller has less liability. Yeah, and you wonder we as home inspectors wonder sometimes why did they pick some number i guess you know if you fall from twenty nine inches you're not going to get hurt, I, but if you fall from thirty you will. I. <laughs> I, I don't know. What what if the, what if it was nice soft grass versus like you know crushed glass? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I keep crushed glass right next to my deck. <laughs> it keeps the intruders out, right? <laughs> it, yeah. keeps, it keeps the rodents out. It keeps the rodents out. Yeah, that's they don't it. have any place to walk without getting that's, up their that's, feet. That's yeah. right. So 
we have about seven minutes, maybe eight minutes left. You got anything else you just want to, you know, talk about that's home inspection related? Well, uh, yeah, I think that folks um, that are out there looking for a home inspector, uh, they should look at, um, you know, how long he's been, he, she has been in business, um, what professional organizations they belong to. Are they demonstrating through that that they have a commitment to ongoing education? Um, are they get get your hands on a sample of their report? So oh, before you, can, you use it. Yeah. Okay, let's say let's say I refer somebody. Would you? I mean, my clients are going to trust me, but you're talking about if somebody didn't know who, that wasn't referred, so they're just looking out of look. They're looking for their own sake. Uh, any inspector who's conscientious, if someone calls them up and says, "Hey, would you send yeah. me a copy of?" You know, an a inspection report. report. Sure. They probably yeah. have a like a dummy report that doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't so any if, particular if, person. If if you're not if you if you, if you haven't been referred by your real estate broker and your real estate broker has already seen the inspector's reports many times, mm-hmm. gone back or talked about them, understood things. Yep. And if you're looking for an inspector on your own, this is smart stuff to do. Yeah, because yeah, you're going to get a sense of is that um, is that inspector just going to the bare minimum that the state law requires. Or are they doing an inspection to educate you about what it is you're buying? The right. good, the bad, uh, and the you know, the safety, structural, mechanical systems of the home and educating you about it, not just looking for something that's wrong. Okay, standard say twenty five hundred square foot home in this area. How long do you spend in that home? Oh, I've been in homes um, like that that were just very, very well maintained gently lived in and can be in and out in, you know, three hours or so. Um, I've been in, you know, 800 square foot homes that were just not <laughs> maintained well. And, you know, they were five hour inspections. Well, you spent some time in your inspections then. Yeah. Well. Three to five hours. Wow. Oh. Hey, I wrote down earlier when we were talking about pests. I get a little confused. Do we have termites in the Pacific Northwest? Yes. Okay, we do. That's right. One of my clients had a house that was riddled with them once. And that we reminds have, me. Okay. We have two types of termites. Two types. There's the damp wood termites, which is what you'll find in your wood pile, the little white maggoty sort of things. And then we have subterranean termites that live uh, below ground. You're very rarely going to see those. And Now, in some parts of the country, they routinely get a termite inspection. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do that here routinely? Are they just not, are they not common or are they just, well, you see, okay, let's say you see evidence of any sort of termite or any other wood-eating vermin or whatever you call it, pest, then you can do an additional inspection yourself or do you hire, or you recommend somebody else get a different inspection? Well, we have here in the state of Washington something called a structural pest inspection, structural right. pest inspection, and that's done looking for what we call wood-destroying organisms. And that range, that's, that's uh, uh, termites, carpenter ants, moisture ants, um, anything that's going to eat your house. Mm-hmm. And that could mm-hmm. include dry rot or fungal decay. Right. So uh, you might hire a home inspector who is not a, a structural pest inspector, and that's fine as long as that person uh, can recognize evidence of— Do you do both? Are you licensed to do both? And I'm not licensed to do both now. Yeah. I was at one time. You were. Yeah. It, it, why did you not—why don't you, why didn't you continue with that? Didn't find that it was making any difference in my business. And did you find that most people—I mean, how often do you come across— instances where you think hey, you call out you say you recommend another inspection for a, a structural what do you call it structural what structural pest inspection how often do you call that one out of ten one out of twenty that you say you Ooh, think they should get um one? i mean that could include something if you've got some rot or suspected rot around a toilet or around a bathtub so 
oh, I don't know, maybe one out of eight, one out of ten inspections. So 10% of the time. Yeah. Okay. And then you have people you refer for that? Um, I do know good ones. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's see if there's anything else we want to talk about. Out number of hours, termites. What time is it? Yeah, we're getting there. Nathan. Oh, he's over there broadcasting, doing something else. He's a go-getter, I'll tell you. Kind of. <laughs> he's always, I didn't even know he left. Yeah. Well, he's 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 the, he took over for Eric, and he's young, and he's always doing something, broadcasting, recording something. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. So it's cool. So, um, do you want to talk about Landmark just briefly? We have some time. Sure, fire away. So, listeners, as you might remember, at the beginning of the show, I talked about myself bouncing off the walls. All the bruises are gone now, by the way, in case you're worried. But um, October, first weekend of October this year, I took the first of many different courses offered by Landmark Worldwide. I highly recommend you look into them. It is the most... How, I put it the other day. I wrote it on Facebook. I actually, I put it out there, Reed. Did you? And I said, how many people who, who, who do I know outside of Landmark, because I've been meeting people like you at Landmark, mm-hmm. that have done Landmark, and about, oh, four or five people that I've known for years. And every one of them said this is one of the best things they've ever done in their life. So why is it such a great thing, Reed? What, what is so wonderful about Landmark? How much time we have, Nathan? <laughs> Two minutes, Okay. Wow, where to begin? Well, uh, yeah, we have two yeah, minutes. It's, so it's, you, you have one minute, okay. and then I have to wrap right. up the if, show. If, if, you've, if your life isn't working out the way you want it to, and you're wondering what, how awesome it can be, Landmark is the place where you're going to find the answer. What if that. your life is awesome, but you just want it to be more awesome? That's great. It's not, that's, <laughs> it's not about a life that's good or bad. It's about how good a life you could have. And how about other people? about other people? Okay, so one of the things that I've gotten through Landmark is it isn't, the organization isn't about uh, me. It's about service and others and community. And that's one of the greatest things I've, I've, I've really, I mean, I've always felt that way about life, you know, that, that I'm here to serve others or my life is, a big part of life is to, to be part of a community. But the focus on that at Landmark is really it's an emphasis. Oh, yeah. It's really about you discovering um, how you can make a difference. Yes, there in you go. whatever area is important to you. It's important to you. Yeah. It's not an organization that gives you answers. It gives you tools to ask questions to help you find your own answers. This yep. is what I love about the most. Yeah. It's truly transform- transformative is the word I try to use. Yep. I'm a different person than I was two years ago, and people—I mean, two months ago—and people know it. People that see me, my friends, my family—they're like, "What happened to you?" Mm-hmm. And it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. So you've been listening to the Home Talk with Greg McKim. We I I A E we air each Tuesday from three to four on eleven fifty AM KKNW. We talk about everything that has to do with homes from soup to nuts. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. And enjoy the rest of your holiday season. I'll be back here next Tuesday, same time, same bat station. Thanks again. See ya.